All right, we're, we're, we're going to get, well, I'm excited this morning that we are going to begin a brand new series on what is often called or referred to as the parables or the parables of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You know what a parable is. It's simply a story. It's an illustration. It's a comparison. It's an allegory in which Jesus uses very common, ordinary things like lamps and seeds and fishnets and pearls and sheep to illustrate a truth, usually just one truth that he wants us to know. And so the the parables of the kingdom of heaven are stories that Jesus tells us and comparisons that he makes so that you and I might know what his kingdom is like, so that we might know what the king is like, so we might know the power of the kingdom, so that we might know our place and our purpose in that kingdom, and so that we might know the place and the purpose of that kingdom in this world. Now, there are seven parables of the kingdom just in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel, and there are others beyond that. I'm not making any promises that we will finish one parable per week, but we might. We might even cover two parables in one week. Now, if you believe that, raise your hand. (laughs) Smart people. It is going to be of great value to us to hear from Jesus in these coming weeks about the kingdom of heaven. Because those who love Christ, and I believe most of us here this morning love Christ. And those who are devoted to being his disciples, and I believe that's the devotion of our hearts, really, to be disciples of Christ, then we must understand how it is that we are to live in the kingdom of heaven, while we are still on earth. So that's our hope and our goal as we approach these parables. This morning, we're going to begin uh, in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, would you take that out now or take the one in the pew in front of you and turn to the 13th chapter of the gospel of Matthew. And when you found your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear Read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking in chapter 13, verse 51. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. And the disciples said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Let's pray together. Father, these verses are few that we've read this morning, but where there's a a wealth of truth in them and change that can come to our life through them when your spirit meets your word this morning. And that's what we pray will happen in these next few moments as we commit ourselves to you and to the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I've told you many times about my family's penchant for quoting lines from the movie, The Princess Bride. One of those lines we repeat is from the scene when the evil Prince Humperdinck, who is eager to marry Princess Buttercup before Westley, her one true love, can come and interrupt the ceremony and whisk Buttercup away to make her his own true wife, Prince Humperdinck interrupts the priest who's droning on and on. Mawaj is what brings us together today. Wav, true wav, follow your wav forever. Twas all your wav. Prince Humperdinck says, skip to the end. I haven't quite figured it out, but whenever I start talking at home, whenever I start telling a story, the family says, skip to the end. And so now you have a little insight into the pastor's family. But I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to skip to the end. Don't get too excited. I'm not skipping to the end of the sermon, but I am skipping to the end of the parables that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. When we first know how it ended for the disciples after they received this teaching from Jesus, then we can seek a different end for ourselves. When we know what Jesus is seeking from us at the end of the parables, then you and I listen differently to everything that he has to teach us along the way. Jesus is not like one of those trickster teachers. And by that, I don't mean a teacher that does tricks. I mean a teacher that seeks to trick us. And, and you probably have had those in your lifetime. Maybe you have one of them now. The teacher who asks a question, whose answer could only be found in the little tiny footnote at the bottom of the page, or worse, in the end notes at the end of the chapter. That teacher knows nobody read those footnotes or end notes. They're seeking to trick you. That same teacher can carefully craft a true-false question so that you can think of situations where the answer could be true or false, but you don't get to explain. You just have to choose T or F. I want us to know, since Jesus is our teacher, he's not a teacher like that. Jesus is for us. Jesus wants us to understand. So look again, if you will, in verse 51. After Jesus has finished his teaching on the parables of the kingdom, he asks his disciples, have you understood all these things? And when Jesus asks them if they've understood, he's asking them if they have really grasped the meaning of what the kingdom of heaven is like in a way that will challenge both their thinking and their living, because that's what it means to understand. Understanding for anyone is not just of the mind, though it is true that the Lord often gets to our hearts through our minds. And then when the Lord has our hearts and the passion of our hearts, then the actions flow freely. 
I've quoted this often in the past. It's a translation of something Philip Melanchthon wrote. He was uh, the, the, the companion, the collaborator with Martin Luther. He's considered the first the systematic theologian of the, the Protestant Reformation. And he says, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So true understanding for us requires all three. The love of the heart, the choice of the will, and the, the justification and the determination of our minds. And so, look, I love this picture of the Lord. He's not hard. He's not cold. He's not demanding. He doesn't say, here are the facts. Now get with it. No. Instead, his question is full of compassion and concern. Have you understood all these things? And he isn't asking for his own sake. Jesus doesn't need affirmation from the disciples that he's actually a good teacher. And Jesus isn't seeking information for himself because he already knows the answer. Jesus is asking the question for the sake of the disciples so that they will examine their own hearts and mind and will. Because they have to live life in the kingdom of heaven while they're still on earth. And so the disciples answer Jesus' question, yes. Now, consider the kindness and the grace of the Lord Jesus in this very moment because it's the same kindness and it's the same grace that he extends to us. Jesus knows that the disciples have just given him an incorrect answer. And Jesus knows and understands the pride of their hearts that would lead them to answer thusly instead of honestly. They have not understood all that Jesus has taught. In the very next chapter of Matthew, Jesus will have great compassion on a great crowd of people who have come to be near him, who have come to hear him teach. But the disciples say to the crowd, send them away. So no, they don't understand the kingdom of heaven, that it's about serving others, even when it's inconvenient for you. In chapter 16, Jesus will tell the disciples that he must suffer and die. And Peter will say to Jesus, this shall never happen to you. So no, they don't understand the kingdom of heaven and the suffering and the sacrifice that's required to establish it and advance it. But look, here in this moment, Jesus doesn't throw his head back and laugh at the disciples' answer. He doesn't sigh and hang his head resignedly. Neither does he pat them on the top of their heads and say, bless your hearts. Jesus accepts the answer that they give and who they are and where they are in the moment because Jesus knows that their understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God 
and the power of the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom of God, that understanding is going to increase little by little so that it's going to be said of these same disciples that they turned the world upside down with the gospel. And so I'll offer this moment to us as a tacit expression of Jesus' grace. He knows what will be. He knows all the failures. He knows all the misunderstandings. But in this moment, grace. And grace for the future, when their lack of understanding will be made manifest. And grace beyond that, when they will give their own lives to advance the kingdom of heaven. So this is good news for you and for me because that same grace is extended to us. Because guess what? You and I are not always going to understand the kingdom of God rightly. We're not. The nature of it, the requirements of it, the service and the sacrifice and the suffering that the kingdom of God may require of us. We aren't always going to understand the power of the kingdom of God, and so we're going to deny that power too often. We often aren't going to understand the king of that kingdom, but listen, we have what the apostle John describes as grace upon grace. Don't you love that verse in the first chapter of his gospel from the Lord Jesus, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. It flows to us. Grace. So that today's ignorance can become tomorrow's understanding. Which by necessity means that tomorrow's arrogant response, yes, we are PCA, we understand all things, will, by the grace of God, be tomorrow's humility. And so we approach these parables as humble learners who seek grace because we know that we do not understand all, but we want to. We want to understand more the nature of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom of God, the requirements of the kingdom of God, and the king of the kingdom of God. And so before we begin to look at these parables individually, We need to understand, as Jesus asked, why we are studying them. To prepare ahead of time for how they might challenge our thinking. How they might challenge our practice or how we live in this world. Now, I had planned right now to give you three reasons. Three reasons why we should look at these parables. But unfortunately, I have time for only one reason. I don't know what that means for the future. But this morning, right now, the rest of our time, one reason why we should seek to understand these parables, and and this is the reason. These parables help us come to grips with the fact that this world is not our home. These parables help us come to grips with the fact that this world is not our home. While we live out our lives here on this earth, we must identify as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. These parables help us understand 
that the Lord has not called us to meld these two kingdoms together, to mesh them together. We're not called to try to find some compatibility between these two kingdoms, or at the very least, some sort of uneasy harmony between them. Of course, we want that, don't we? Because all of us want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to enjoy all this world has to offer and somehow make all of that okay with also being part of the kingdom of heaven. And so we end up with one foot in one kingdom and one foot in the other. If that's what we seek, then we do not understand all that Jesus will teach about the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what the Lord says through the words that he inspired in the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to replace us with you. For all of us here this morning who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Is that good news? Delivered translates a Greek word that means to rescue from danger and to preserve your life. Death and danger, those are the realities of the kingdom of the world. They're what Christ has rescued us from. He's preserved your life and mine. Why is it then that we should seek to live with one foot in one kingdom and one foot in the other? Our Lord tells us that our citizenship is now in another kingdom, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's our king. That's his power. Is it good news? The Apostle Paul is fully aware that the Philippians still live and breathe and work and play and love in this world, but their citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 13, the Hebrews 11 tells us that all of those who f- of faith who came before, all those who valiantly lived by faith, and endured great hardship and persecution and death for that faith did this thing. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Strangers and exiles, even while they lived in this world. As we heard a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus stood trial before Pilate, He said to Pilate, 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Here, here, what Jesus is saying, his kingdom requires reactions that are not like the reactions of this world. His kingdom requires resources that are not available in this world. His kingdom requires restraint that's not applauded by this world. The ways of the kingdom of this world and the thinking of the kingdom of this world are counter to the ways and the thinking of the kingdom of God. If that were not so, then Jesus would have said to his disciples when they came to arrest him and then to put him on the cross, Jesus was said to them, go get them, boys. Have at it. But he did not. Instead, he told Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Resources not of this world. For the kingdom of God that is in this world. And so it is for you and for me. We must understand the rescue that Jesus has accomplished for us. And we need to grab hold of his hand and run, run into his kingdom of light and not look back. Perhaps this is why scripture records the story of Lot's wife for us. She looked back with longing, it seems, the old world and the old ways from which God had just rescued her. And the result for her was death. We're not of the world anymore. So we have to put the old familiar sword back in its scabbard. And we have to replace the old ways of thinking and living with seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because this world, this culture doesn't have the direction. It cannot offer the answers. It's becoming more clear every day that our culture is instead unmoored, unhinged, and that it operates in a way that brings about utter chaos and confusion. We got to know that the kingdom of heaven is other than that. And I don't even refer to the kingdom of heaven as counter-cultural. The kingdom is definitely that. It is counter to or against our culture, but that term seems to suggest that the kingdom of heaven is on the same level as the kingdom of this world. A tit for tat, he said, she said situation. And please forgive me if I just use the wrong pronouns. No. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of which you and I are now a part, might better be called supercultural or supracultural. It's not like this world. It's completely other. It's over and above and superior in every way. And when we acknowledge that reality, 
you and I, in that moment, become instantly dependent on the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the grace of God to know how to live well in the kingdom of heaven in this world. And so here is my prayer that we come to these parables of the kingdom eager to hear the voice of Jesus, the king of the kingdom, speak to us, eager to understand the kingdom of heaven, needing to know the nature of it, ready to hear the requirements of it, passionate to know the power of it, steadied to serve and to make the sacrifices and endure the suffering required by it. But most of all, most of all, most of all, desperate to know Christ, the King of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would answer these prayers of our hearts. Help us to know your kingdom, its nature, its requirements, its power. The sacrifices, the serving, the suffering that we might be called to endure for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But most of all, and best of all, best of all, Lord Jesus, in these weeks to come and through these parables, let us know you, our great king, more and more. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.